0: 1st Samuel, but I think up to about 46, 47, somewhere in there. That's what we're going to read. Uh, before we, we dive in there, I just want to just kind of give you an update. Uh, Thursday and Friday, many of you were praying um, for, for me as uh, I was at both Mount Royal and at the University of Calgary, had the incredible privilege uh, through the club Power to Change to speak to uh, students on, on both campuses on the reliability of the Bible. And um, I think at Mount Royal, we had about 40 uh, students there and uh, a lot of good questions after my 30, 35 minute talk. I, I did keep it to that. That was quite something. And, uh, and then after that, uh, at the next day you see, uh, I think there was about 60 students there. There was probably about 10, at least 10 that I could tell that uh, didn't come from a Christian background. But they came with some really good questions, and uh, it w- I just had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Um, I'd love to do stuff like that all the time. That was uh, more fun than I had expected. But thank you for praying. God gave answers uh, uh, when I needed them. And um, probably for an hour and a half on, on Friday, after our Q&A time, I got to have some, a lot of one-on-one conversations. Andrew had brought my cards, at least to the UFC. I forgot the first one. But I was allowed to hand out a lot of cards and a lot of hopefully a lot of coffees will flow out of that. We'll see. We'll see. But I just it was just a lot of fun. And thank you for praying and pray that God would use that for his glory. Pray for those who are on those campuses um, like Jemima is on the campus at uh, at Mount Royal, Seamus and uh, others on the campus of C, And they are doing some really good work there. They're the ones who brought the people. I just had the privilege to speak and answer a few questions. So. Just uh, be in prayer for them as well. Why don't we pray, and then we'll read, okay? Do it a little backwards, backwards from the way I usually do it. Lord, I love you. I, I love your book. And I thank you that it is reliable. And I pray, Father, that you would graciously teach us from this. It um, seems like a random story, but it isn't. Would you be our teacher? Would you be our guide? Would you help us to see you? Would you help us to see what we need to change in our life? And, Lord, help us to be transformed and changed by your good book and by your son, Jesus. Lord, would it not be Elroy that teaches, but would it be you that teaches? And, Father, I ask that you would build your church in Martaloo, please. Not for our sake, but for your sake. Not so that we could become famous, but so you could become famous. And not so we could pat ourselves on the back, but so that lost and dying people in this neighborhood and beyond would come to know You and fall in love with You. So I'm asking, Lord, would You do Your work the only way You can, by Your Word, through Your Spirit. In Your name we pray. Amen. 1 Samuel chapter 14. Again, another text. I was wondering what we are going to get out of it, but the more I studied it, the more I fell in love with this stuff particular passage. It seems like the Bible keeps doing that to me. It keeps surprising me. The Spirit keeps surprising me with His word. First Samuel 14 starting verse 1. One day Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who carried his armor come let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men including Ahijah, the son of Atatub, I think, uh, something like that, okay? Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. The people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes and the name of the other, Sinah. The one crag rose on the north in the, in the front of Michmash and the other on the south in the front of Gibba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said to, to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with your heart, with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his feet and his armor-bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer, killed them after him. And that first strike which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made killed about 20 men. Within it, as it were a half a furl's length and an acre of land. There was a panic in the camp, in the field, and, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah, Benjamin, looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count to see who has gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. The ark of God went at the time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time, and who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle so that the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. We're going to keep reading verse 24. And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it's evening, and I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. Now when all the people came to the forest, behold, there was honey on the ground. And when the people entered the forest, behold, the honey was dropping. But no one put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath but Jonathan had not heard his father's charge the people with the oath so he put out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and dipped it in the honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth and his eyes became bright then one of the people said your father strictly charged the people with an oath saying cursed be the man who eats food this day and the people were faint then Jonathan said my father has troubled the land See how my eyes have become bright because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies that they found. For now the defeat among the Philistines has not been great. They struck down the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon. The people were very faint. The people pounced on the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them with the blood. Then they told Saul, Behold, the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. And he said, You have dealt treacherously. Roll a great stone to me here. And Saul said, Disperse yourself among the people and say to them, Let every man bring his ox or his sheep and slaughter them here and eat and do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. So every one of the people had brought his ox and with him that night they slaughtered them there. And Saul built an altar to the Lord. It was the first altar that, was, that he built to the Lord. Then Saul said, "Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them." And they said, "Do whatever seems good to you." But the priest said, "Let us draw near to God here." And Saul inquired of God, "What shall I what sh- shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of the Is- of Israel?" But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, "Come here all you leaders of the people and know and see how This sin has arisen today, for as the Lord lives, who says Israel, though it be Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people who answered him. Then he said to all Israel, You shall be on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, Do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said, O Lord God of Israel, why Have you not answered your servant this day? Is this guilt, is it me or in Jonathan, my son? O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. But if this guilt is in your people Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast the lot between me and my son Jonathan. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you have done. Jonathan told them I tasted a little honey with the tip of the staff that was in my hand here I am I will die and Saul said God do so to me and more also you shall surely die Jonathan and the people said to Saul shall Jonathan die who has worked this great salvation in Israel far from it as the Lord lives there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground for he has worked with God this day The people ransomed Jonathan so that he did not die. And Saul went up from pursuing the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Quite a story. But I think it's really important that we don't neglect the public reading of Scripture. That's what the Scriptures say. And I think it's important sometimes to read the long text. And I think in this case it's important for a number of reasons. One of my questioners on uh, Friday uh, after the fact he had, he had some really solid questions and he says the, the Bible is just full of full of a bunch of random stories and, and why would we follow these random stories and um, and I challenged him on the unity of scripture I challenged him to read the Bible and find that there is actually a unity that flows um, and so when it comes to first Samuel 14 the, the reality is this is not a random, text it fits into a greater story and I think every time not every time but I think on a regular basis we should remind ourselves of the greater story as we're walking through 1 Samuel okay so remember Genesis chapter 3 Adam and Eve they rebel against God they choose to do it their own way and because of that they're kicked out of the garden they're cut off from a a, a relationship with God Uh, there are all kinds of implications. One of them being death, but in that there is a bright light. There is a a, a spark of hope. Is Genesis chapter three fifteen, where where God is speaking to the serpent, and He says to the serpent, um, that 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 the offspring of the woman will bruise his heel, but 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 the offspring will crush his head. Now. What that meant, probably, I don't think they completely understood. But there was always this anticipation and hope that that one of the children would bring freedom, would bring restoration, would deliver from death and from sin and from all the implications of of the fall. And you see that flowing throughout. But then we come to Genesis chapter twelve, and then fifteen, and then seventeen, and that promise becomes a little brighter as God gives a very clear promise to Abraham. It says to Abraham that it's through his offspring that all the nations would be blessed. And his promise to Abraham gets clearer, Genesis 12, then Genesis 15, and then Genesis 17. And that they were going to give a, get a land and that they would possess the land. well, Many years later, we get to First Samuel, and they are in that land, and they are a a a large people, a people that that is uh, that numbers that rival the sand on the seashore. But in First Samuel chapter nine, Saul shows up on the scene, and God says to Samuel, "We read this last week." He says, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. The people had constantly been looking for a deliverer, and and deliverers would come on the scene, but each of them would eventually disappoint, whether it was Noah or whether it was Gideon. Along comes Saul. Now Saul was was the man that the people chose. They wanted a king like all the nations. And, and 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 God had warned them through the prophet Samuel that if you take a king that like all the nations, what he will do is he will take from you, he will take from you, he will take from you, eventually he will enslave you. And yet, in his kindness, in his goodness, in his grace, God says to Saul to Samuel through uh, through Saul, the Philistines would be destroyed. We get to first Samuel chapter eleven. You might remember this. This was before Christmas. Then Nahash the Ammonite. Remember Nahash means serpent. Ah, the serpent. What happens? Saul destroys the serpent. And and I think the people of Israel, probably there's a sense that it's like, the Deliverer is here. We found him. But as we saw last week, the Deliverer, Saul, the king, Saul, disappoints pretty quickly. Much like Adam, he sins and disobeys God. And God very clearly says, because of this, because you weren't willing to wait for my word, because of this, because you did the offerings it was designed for the priest to do, because of what you have done, your kingdom will not last forever. Basically, his children would not be on the throne. God had found another. So we got this like, again, there's promise, and then there's not. And then First Samuel 14. I think what the author is trying to do for us, something he does throughout the book of Samuel, is he wants us to see He wants us to see what the true deliverer ought to look like in two different ways. By really comparing and contrasting Jonathan and Saul. So I'm just going to follow that compare and contrast. As we walk through the text, and as we get through the end of those comparing and contrasts, then what I'd like to do is kind of bring out three applications. Okay? So let's just walk through the text. Let's take a look. Let's compare these two characters father and son we're going to start with jonathan it's interesting as this verse one begins we see jonathan going what do we see saul doing in verse two staying it's interesting now what did god said to samuel about what what was the promise to saul that he would hand the philistines over to them now, we need to understand the situation, the circumstance. Remember last week, the the uh, the Philistines, they had, what was it, 30,000 chariots and a bunch of horsemen, and, and their troops were the number of the sand of the seashore. And the Israelites, they had 3,000, but they got whittled down to 600 because people were dispersing like crazy. So Jonathan and Saul have 600 troops, and on the other side, there's... Too many to number. On top of that, the Israelites, only Saul and Jonathan have a spear and a sword. Everybody else, I'm assuming, had bows and arrows, but the other side, they had weapons. Weapons of I guess of mass destruction, you could say. They had them. Israel didn't. On top of that, the the ravine that separated the two was, was impassable. That's the point of it. Rocky crags going down and, 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 and the uh, names Bozes and Zena as I understand thorny and slippery. 600 against an innumerable army. And that innumerable army was already on the march raiding. In three different parts of the land. But you have Jonathan going and Saul staying. It's interesting, who is Saul staying with? Did you catch that? He's staying with a priest. That's, that's a pretty good thing, isn't it? But which priest is he staying with? For whatever reason, the narrator mentions that this priest is related to Ichabod. Ichabod is the, the, the guy that was born when Eli and Phineas and that whole the ark was stolen and they died, and, and Phineas's wife gives birth to Ichabod, and, and the reason she calls him Ichabod is because the glory has departed. God is gone. I, I, think, I think the narrator is very clearly trying to underst- help us understand that not only has Samuel left the word of God in the last chapter but Saul is surrounding himself with the ritual the ceremony but it lacks the power how often we love to be around the ceremony of the church and yet lacking in the power of the spirit Of his word. So Jonathan's going, Saul is staying. What does that say of Saul's faith? Not much, does it? Does it take much faith to stick your head in the sand? I guess it's faith in sand, kind of a silly faith. But what about Jonathan's faith? I love his faith. Look what he, look what he says in in verse six. Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. In other words, we are the people of God; they aren't. That's what he's saying. And then he goes, it may be that the Lord will work for us for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. I love that. God God can save just two of us. He can wipe out this army with two of us. Like that is gutsy. That is maybe dumb. Like he's moving forward and there's not enough money in the bank. He's moving forward, and they, they, they don't have everything it takes to conquer the land. He's moving forward. It doesn't, it doesn't make common sense. But he says, nothing can hinder Yahweh from saving by many or by few. I love that. That is faith. But did you notice the other phrase? it may be that the Lord will work for us. Is his faith wavering? I was talking to someone not that long ago, and we were talking about someone that we both care for, and uh, and he said, well, I'm praying for him, and therefore God has to act. How often I've heard that is beyond me, but I love what Jonathan does. I think what Jonathan does is what we're, we're taught to do. Thy will be done. That's how we're taught to pray. He he doesn't he doesn't presuppose that God will do. says, I'm going to go, and God can do, and God may be in His kindness will do. He allows God to be free. He allows God to be God. He doesn't dictate to God what He ought to do. But he believes God can do anything. I've had people push back, but i have been to push back a little further and a little harder. A lot of people said that I need to have more faith when it comes to my wife and her cancer. But I believe that God can take her cancer away like that. It could be gone. I don't doubt that. Because He spoke and the world came into existence. He died and He rose three days later. I know He can take her cancer away. But I don't know if He's going to do it on this side of the grave or the other side. And I will not tell him what to do. Because he knows better. I will ask him. And I say, Lord, in your kindness and your compassion, if you think this is best, would you do this? But if not, that's okay. That's not a lack of faith. That's genuine faith in the mighty God. And that's allowing him to be who he is. I love that about Jonathan. That doesn't stop him from going. That doesn't stop him from obeying. In the history of the church, we've got people who went to Africa and they died there. The, the, Africa is a graveyard of missionaries. They were obedient, though. It's upon their blood that the church in Africa is flourishing. We see Jonathan going and Saul staying. We see Jonathan's faith. We see Saul's lack of faith. Can I ask, where do you think Jonathan got such faith? The Bible very clearly says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I think... And I think the context actually helps us with this. The reason he had faith and his father didn't have faith was because his father wasn't willing to listen to the Word of God. He wasn't willing to wait for the Word of God. And now Samuel's gone, meaning the Word of God has left. Where, where would his faith come from? But Jonathan, I think, he heard the story as of Gideon. In fact, so much of the story sounds like the story of Gideon. I think he heard the stories of Joshua surrounding the walls of Jericho. And he trusted. I think he heard the stories and believed in the God who brought the people out of Egypt. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ, by the very words that we read in the Scriptures. You you will not have such faith if you are not a man or woman of the book. Read it. well let's carry on did you notice the disciples of Saul and the disciple of Jonathan (laughs) I love the guy that Jonathan's with give me two of them and Saul can have the entire army his armor bearer in verse 7 said to him do all that is in your heart do as you wish behold I am with you heart and soul The last chapter, Saul's army is fleeing, hiding, actually running across the Jordan, getting out of the land that God had promised them. In this chapter, it's fascinating. A couple of times, the people of Israel actually say, uh, look at verse, um, I better look it up, verse 36. Then Saul said, Let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until the morning light. Let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatever seems good to you. The brevity compared to the the, the length of of um, the um, the armor-bearer's reply is significant. They, they say the same thing a little later in, in verse uh, 40. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. But what's fascinating, right after in each of those situations, in verse 36, uh, as they say, do whatever seems good to you. But the priest said, let us draw near to God here. Okay, so they stop. They actually do what the priest says. And and in verse 40, do what seems good to you, and what happens? They don't put Jonathan to death. They actually convince him and ransom Jonathan and save Jonathan. And so who's actually leading? It's, it's not Saul. It's interesting. But you got the you got the armor bearer. His disciple. He's a disciple of Jonathan. He's a follower of Jonathan, and he's like gung ho, wholehearted. I'm going. I think that's a significant comparing and contrast between the two. And what about the way God acts for the both of them? They they, they they actually get across, which is amazing that they actually get across down thorny and up slippery. And then when they get there, they take out 20 guys. Well, that's pretty significant. Two guys take out 20. And then it says there's kind of a panic takes place, probably kind of like, you know, the, you know, when somebody yells fire in a crowd and there's a bit of a mob happening, I'm, I'm guessing. And so there's a bit of a panic happening. And then it says there was a great earthquake. Jonathan did not do that. God did that. And then it says there was a very great panic. I love the brevity of of uh, Old Testament literature. It's just like there was a great, very great panic. And we're supposed to pause and think through those. But for for, for 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 Jonathan, God acts. God acts. And it's amazing. And for Saul, well, remember Samuel has left. Saul's big on ritual. They notice something's going on and he goes, oh, let's get the ark over here. And, and the, probably the reason they're getting the ark over here is because with the ark and with the priest, we're told that he has the ephod, meaning the priest can also, they could hear from God through the ephod. The, and and that's the urim and thummim that they you'll see later in the text. And so I think they're bringing it here and going, Saul's like, well, we've got to have some type of ritual. We've got to get the ark here so we can make sure God's going to go with us. It's kind of like we need a rabbit's foot to go before we go. We need to find a four-leaf clover before we go. He's all about ritual, and you're going to see that in chapter 15. But in that context, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines gets greater and greater and greater, and before he hears from God, he says, withdraw your hand, we've got to go. It's significant. It's very similar to what he does in chapter 13. He doesn't wait for the word of God. And a little later, he doesn't hear from God. And that becomes a theme in Saul's life. You're going to see this. But Jonathan, for Jonathan, God acts. For Saul, God doesn't even speak. It's fascinating. What did God promise the people of Israel as they were marching through the wilderness? They were headed to what? The land flowing with milk and honey. What did God say? If you choose a king like all the nations, he will take from you, he will take from you, he will take from you, and he will enslave you. Saul literally takes what God had blessed the people with, the land filled with milk and honey. What God says was okay to have, Saul says you can't have. Jonathan, because he was doing the work of God, doesn't hear Saul's silly statement vow, whatever you want to call it. And he enjoys the fruit of the land. Maybe Saul is a bit of a legalist and I don't know where you go with that, but Jonathan eats of the promise. Saul restricts the people from the blessings of God. And then finally, I, I want you to see when when the dice is cast and it becomes evident that Jonathan ate of this honey, he's willing to die. Here I am. I will die. I, I think that's just a, an honest, like, I'm okay with this. But what strikes me is Saul, who's really the sinner in the whole context, we saw that in chapter 13. We're seeing it again. He's the one doing the accusing. What have you done? He sounds like Samuel accusing Saul. What have you done? He's making judgment. He's, he's He's ready to put his son to death. And he doesn't see his own sin. He stands as the accuser and judge as if he has no sin of his own. And again, this is a theme in Saul's life. You're going to see it. And I want to just put those two side by side. I've got a lot of questions. My first question is, chapter 13 seems a little too quick. Why in the world did God say, your son will not sit on the throne? His son was the right candidate, wasn't he? If, if I said, you know what, I think I'm going to pack it in and you guys need to go find a pastor, you'd want someone like Jonathan. not fair is it he's a good guy but but as we walk through jonathan you don't see this attitude where jonathan thinks well that's not fair you don't see a jealousy when david shows up on the scene here in a couple chapters you actually see jonathan who's he realizes it's not his kingdom it's his kingdom It doesn't really seem to matter to him if he's the king of his kingdom or if he's the janitor of his kingdom. It doesn't seem to matter for him if he lives a long life with family and everything else for, as a leader of his kingdom or if he dies quickly for his kingdom. His desire is to do the will of God. Well, that speaks volumes to me. That speaks volumes to us. Do you look around and go, I wish I had that person's gifts, or I wish I had that person's abilities, or I wish I could do that, or I wish I could do this, or I wish I had that role, or I wish I had. Or are you just simply saying, God, you know what? I'm going to be like Jonathan. I'll serve wherever you have me, and I'll support whatever you want to do. I like Jonathan. You're going to see that come up even clearer later on. And what about his faith? Well, what a challenge to me this morning, this was, or this week. You know, I was, I was, kind of, kind of probably mild. I was, I was intimidated and frightened to go to both Mount Royal and the U of C because, excuse my English, I ain't done nothing like that before. But I knew I had to go. I mean, I remember emailing. Uh, West back and saying well you're way out of my comfort zone but yeah I, this is what I've been praying for and yeah this is what I'll do I'll, I'll do it it challenged me do I really believe that God by few can plant a church in this part of the city some days it doesn't really seem like it That he can Will I trust him? Will I wait for his word? Will I hear from him? Will I will I follow him? Will I move forward? Sometimes I I look at just common sense stuff. And go, this just can't be done. Hogwash. You can save by many or by few. The deadness and the depravity of our city, the pride of our city, the self sufficiency of our city, the lack of maybe even my abilities smallness of our gifts and talents and treasures doesn't really matter because it's God who brings the earthquake right what's her faith like finally as I look at this text I I I think sometimes the mistake can be is you can walk out of here and go I got to be more like Jonathan I got to be more like Jonathan I got to be more like Jonathan Actually, I think Jonathan is more of a, like Jesus. I think he's a picture of Christ who's gone before us. Christ has gone down the thorny and up the slippery. Christ gave his life and was buried and rose from the dead. And because of what Christ has done, and only because of Christ, what Christ has done, He then tells us, He then commands us in Matthew chapter 28. and Well, verse, nine, verse 18, yeah. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, we're the armor bearer. Jonathan is the Christ and will we go wholeheartedly following him as we gather around the table we stop and we remember how he went down the thorny and up the slippery for our sake as we remember him he also says will we tell the world about him let's pray Lord, I love you again. My love for you this week has just gotten sweeter, and I thank you for that, because that's that's all you. But Father, I pray that we as a people of community grace, that you and your kindness and your grace would cause, cause us to stand up and follow you, serve you, go out and tell the world about you. Pray for that young man who had so many questions on Friday night. Lord, open his eyes. Open his eyes. Open my eyes to behold your glory. Help me, help us to put our trust and faith in what you have done. Build your church, oh God. And would you use us? In your name we pray. Amen. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if, you've, if there's been a time and place where you put your trust, your faith, your confidence in Him, then this table is for you and for me. And He welcomes you and me, and He says, come around the table and remember what He's done, that His body was put to death, put upon a cross for our sake. And we take a piece and we put it in the cup and we're reminded that His blood was shed for our sins. Just to stop and remember. And we like to do it a little differently here. We like to do it as family. So come with somebody. Just tag along. Bring somebody with you. But let's stop and let's remember Him. Let's enjoy Him.